James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And I'd just like to pray before we hear from God's word this morning. God, I pray that we would approach your word this morning with humility. I pray that we would understand, God, that you are right. And God, if we don't understand or we don't agree, then you are still right. Please give us the humility, God, to see your rightness, your righteousness, your holiness, your all-knowingness. God, I pray that your word would enter into our hearts, that we would humbly allow you to change us, God. We ought not to go away from hearing the preaching of your word the same, but more like you, more holy, more righteous, more surrendered, more humble. So God, as we hear the preaching of the word here, and as we hear as the children here in Sunday school, God, and as we hear in the foundations class, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts in a mighty way, that you would give us the wisdom to approach your word with humility, and God, that you would work it down deep in our hearts, that you would change us, and God, that you would show us your glory. We sang about standing in front of your throne. God, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of that throne. We would see your glory and your power, and that because of that, it would show the contrast of your mercy and your love, and we would appreciate it. So God, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know my subject matter from the book of James. Before I say anything else, I want to say this. That the object of the morning is not for you to leave loathing yourself more this morning. I want to assure you of that. The object for the morning is for you to leave adoring Jesus more this morning. And that really is the goal for which we gather each and every week on the Lord's Day. 
that there is no vulnerability in our insufficiency that we need to be defensive of and keep the words of God away from because in all of our insufficiency, our Lord is sufficient for all things. Marvelously, even the insufficiencies of our tongues. And so keep that in mind this morning, please, uh, that we, we leave this morning adoring our Lord even more. The simple point of the text is that the way that we speak matters. The way that we speak matters. It is a, an incredible privilege to be able to speak and to hear people speak most of the time. It is something that we have as being image bearers of God. We are remarkable creatures. I was listening to somebody recently marvel at how a particular animal was able to make a noise and communicate. And I, I stopped him and, and, I, and, I, and I said, yes, but are you kidding me? Listen to you. You are an incredible creature. You are not, not just making a noise. You are articulating something about something else. You are self-conscious with thought and able to communicate it. You are made in God's image. You are a marvelous creature. It is a tremendous privilege to be able to speak, talk, and to communicate. It is also a tremendous liability <laughs> to be able to talk. Proverbs says, where words are many, transgression is not absent. And so, in speaking of the tongue, it's like walking into a dark room where somebody's turned the lights on and there's rodents scurrying for the door. <laughs> I'm that fat one trying to get underneath the door, the door's closed, or the tail's wagging. I want out of here. Shut the lights off. And yeah, perhaps this is the, one of the more difficult, most difficult realities yet of the book of James, where James is addressing the subject of what does a living faith look like? What are the works of the person who is justified? And the tongue is included in those works. The tongue must be transformed as evidence of a living faith. If we could only just point to some other areas of our life or all the other areas of our life sometimes and, and leave this one area of our life excluded, how good we could look, how moral we could look. But this little muscle in our mouth brings the house down. James isn't addressing the tongue as merely as a, as a compartment of our life that needs to be tidied up. He addresses the tongue as something that tells the story of the whole house. We like to have compartments. Our house has a room where you visited our house. There's one door that will probably be closed all the time. <laughs> and it gives the impression that the house is clean, but that room rarely is. It's a mud room, it's a laundry room, it's an exercise room, it's a planting room. It, it's, it's one of those every kind of rooms that always looks a mess, and so we shut the door. James isn't, isn't addressing this simply as one part of the house that needs to be examined. He's addressing it as something that reveals the whole house. By addressing the tongue, he puts his finger on something, on a part of us that reveals the whole of us. And it's a very penetrating thing. Look at what he says in verse 2, that we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a, is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. It's very penetrating words. 
about how the tongue is indicative, it's, it's reflective of not just one little compartment of our life that needs to be tidied up, but something that is indicative of the whole thing. So in other words, if you want to know how I'm doing with my desires, the way that I try to make myself look to other people, the things that I, that I, I don't show all the time, if you're wondering how I'm doing with all of my, my desires, my desire for eating, my desires for drinking, my desires for shopping, my lusts, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. If you're wondering how I'm doing in, in the control of my, all of my appetites, listen to my tongue. Listen to the way that I speak. In other words, all of the ways that are our faith, as James has been addressing, is challenged to be a living faith that he has addressed already in this book. Things like partiality. And this text actually introduces another section on dissension, where people don't like each other in the church. Imagine that. Partiality, the mercy gap. We talked about that a few weeks ago, where we look in the mirror and we forget what we've seen as objects of mercy. Or if there's a dead orthodoxy that James has addressed, if there's something that is not living, it's, it's, it's believed and it's true, but it's, it's dead within us. What James is saying is that, that the place that it cannot help but be exposed is in the tongue. And Jesus says in more than one place, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6 and the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart tips out through the mouth before we can stop it. So here's the main point that I would like to get across from this text today. It's very simple, that healthy speech is evidence of healthy Christians. In fact, I would add that healthy speech is the necessary evidence of a healthy Christian. In other words, that there's some kind of a, a correspondence with the way that God speaks to us. And you've heard many people already refer and take wonderful joy in the way that God speaks to us. There needs to be a correspondence with God's speech to us and our speech. A congruency, a kind of integrity that reflects a living faith. Would you like to belong to a healthy church? A healthy church requires healthy speech. Would you like to belong to a healthy home? A healthy home requires healthy speech. Would you like to have a healthy marriage? Healthy marriage requires healthy speech. Would you like to work in a healthy workplace? I spoke to a man this morning who works at a mill. He's going back to work. He's been on strike for a long time, and he said... I'm going to go back. He's at retirement age. And he said, I'm going to go back. And, and you know why? It's because it's a toxic environment that I want to contribute to. Not the toxicity. <laughs> oh, God help us. The tongue is uncontrollable. And I thought, you know what? That's to think like a Christian. Whoever keeps it in his, his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble, Proverbs 21, 23. Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. 
A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Do you ever listen to yourself? We have mirrors that we look into, but sometimes it's not the reflection in the mirror that's the best indication of who we are. It's the, if we could lif- listen to a recording of ourselves through the day. But do you ever just stop and listen to yourself? My wife and I get up early in the mornings and enjoy uh, time together in the mornings and have opportunity to talk. I'm usually out in the evenings, and so we get, out, get up two or three hours before either of us have to go anywhere and, and uh, enjoy a cup of coffee together and a, and a slice of toast, and we talk. Spend an hour or two just talking. Sometimes we'll talk about theology. And sometimes we'll talk about the news. and Sometimes we'll talk about family and, and different things that are in our minds to talk with one another. And every once in a while, I'll stop and I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll start to listen to myself. I'll listen to my own words. And I'll stop and I'll say, listen to me. Just listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> a gentle tongue is a tree of life. You poor dear soul that has to sit and listen to me. Because my words are not gentle like a tree of life sometimes. You know, I'm frustrated about something or irritated about something. It's hard to win sometimes, whether we should speak or to be quiet. I was at something a few weeks ago where all the way there, I was down in the night, and all the way down there, I had a half an hour to tell myself, I've got this tape that rolls in my head very, very often. It says, be quiet, Barry. Over and over and over again. Actually, I use not such kind words to myself. Be quiet, Barry. Be quiet, Barry. And I determined all the way down there I was going to keep my mouth shut. Because when I speak, sometimes, listen to the guy. Just listen to him. His words sound arrogant. They sound prideful. They sound critical. And then I did it. I was there. I was there for, for two evenings of of meetings, and I, and I did it. I, was, I kept my mouth shut the whole time. And all the way home, I said to myself, you coward! Why don't you speak? Even a fool is deemed intelligent when he keeps his mouth shut. The mouth of the righteous spreads knowledge. Lord, help us to know when to be quiet. I went to speak, but a, a gentle tongue, not an arrogant tongue, a critical tongue, but a gentle tongue is a tree of life. I'm going to work through a couple of points about the text here. One, first of all, that the tongue has a disproportionate power to its size. Secondly, that the tongue is a, a telling contradiction, a telling contradiction. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The boast of the tongue is this disproportionate power. And it boasts of, of a power and of an influence that is far beyond its size. It's disproportionate to its size. And it is no idle boast. The tongue really does have incredible power. It does great things far out of proportion to its size. How much does the tongue weigh? 
If you ever do cut your tongue out, would you weigh it for me? Tell me, how much does it weigh? It might weigh, I don't know, four, five, maybe six ounces. It might be the weight of, of a tongue. But it has tremendous power. It has tremendous power for our own, oh boy, how do I say it? Tremendous power. Consider the catechism that we went through today. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. A tongue has a disproportionate power. And other, other, any other part of our anatomy to defile us with the breaking of God's commands. We can break the two commands of God, the two great commands of God, without even leaving the couch with our tongue. It has tremendous power. But consider the power of the tongue to influence. I think that's James' first and foremost concern, particularly when he mentions teachers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a stricter greatness. And James uses the word we with a a tremendous humility there. It's almost like in all of his speech to the church, he's he's worked himself out into a place where he, he discovers his own vulnerability in correcting and rebuking. And he uses the word we, and first and foremost in James' mind, is the power of the tongue to influence in the office of teaching. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Why? Because the teaching has an outsized proportion to the size of the tongue and its ability to influence and control and have power. The tongue of a teacher has the power, like the bridle on a horse, to lead the whole body of Christ in the path that that tongue determines. It's an incredible power that the the teacher has. C.S. Lewis wrote that this is the teacher's deception, that they imagine that they've taught something, that if they've taught something, rather, that they've somehow also lived it if they've taught something, that they've also somehow lived it. It is the danger of a teacher. Careless words from a teacher are particularly dangerous. Our Lord in Matthew chapter 12, 36 says that every careless word will be judged. And in the context He's talking about careless words, particularly answering the question, who am I? Who is the Son of God? Who is the Son of Man? And this is the teacher's greatest liability, greatest sense of of danger. How do we answer those words? Any careless words about who Jesus is, about who the Son of Man is, is like a rudder that can lead a whole ship onto shipwreck. In fact, Paul warns that of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, watch out for Hymus and Alexander. These they shipwreck faith. If the kinds of things that James is talking about, 
in this particular book exists in a teacher, if partiality exists in a teacher, if dead orthodoxy lives in a teacher, then the whole body is vulnerable. It can ignite a church and, and burn it to the ground with division. And we know that what even a, we live in a place where there's lots of trees and through the dry season we sense the vulnerability to fires, don't we? With all of the, the awareness there's been of fires through the last through a few summer seasons. You drive down the road and it looks like somebody's thrown a small spark, a cigarette butt out beside the, the, the road and, and there's a blaze that has started from there. That's what the words of a teacher can be like to ignite and burn God's people to the ground with division. There are dangers there. Not many of you should become teachers. But if there is danger, there is also tremendous positive hope for influence. The tongue has an out-proportional size for, for influence, not only for the negative and the danger, but for the positive. Some of you would, will remember times in your, in your youth early on when words have influenced you tremendously, either for the good or for the bad. And I long for the day when teachers of God's word will be given the influence and the power to be able to, to, to steer entire bodies into the depths of God, to steer people towards the knowledge of God, to, like a forest fire, to, to demolish and to burn to the ground the, the arrogance and the defiance that stands against God through the spark of the gospel, just that one small spark of the gospel and the influence and the power that it can have. That's why I asked Chris to read from the book of Ezekiel. I've been reading through that particular book in the Old Testament and the influence of the, that is described through the prophesying of Ezekiel to dead bones, to dry bones. Prophesy to them, speak to them the word of God. An incredible thing happens that, they, that, that what was dead becomes living. How I long for such influence of the people who proclaim Christ in our country today. But pray for your teachers. Pray that we would have Christ living in us always. Pray that we would be able to, without cowardice, be able to speak without prejudice, without gaining advantage for ourselves, but truly for the profit of the people of God. Like Peter at Pentecost, what a wonderful example that is, is of the power of the tongue. Of just recently, a few days before, the power of the tongue had been seen with the chant of the people, crucify him, crucify him, all with the whispering of the Pharisees. But with Peter on Pentecost, to stand up and declare, this one whom you crucified has been made Lord and Christ and set Jerusalem on fire with the question of what must we do to be saved? Incredible story. But not only in teachers does the tongue have a disproportionate power. What is true of teachers is also true of us all individually. What's true of the public tongue is true of the private tongue by implication. Proverbs 16, 24 says, the power of life 
and death is in the tongue. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 16, 24. Our tongues, your tongue, my tongue, has a disproportionate power to steer a home. It has disproportionate power from its size to steer a peer group, uh, a workplace, and in fact, an entire generation. James uses these words that, that it has the capacity to set on fire the entire course of life in verse Three, over six, which is a reference to not, not just yourself, not just those around you, but an entire generation can be influenced with the words of our mouths. Again, think back, and there are probably times in your own life where you knew that, that the words that were said publicly discouraged you, turned you away. Or words that were said publicly encouraged you and made you want more. Words that were said in your home to you. Words that weren't said in your home to you. Had the power of influence to shape an entire generation. An entire course of life. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. It says... Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Remarkable phrase. Give grace to those who hear. Listen to yourselves. Is it, is it grace for those who hear? I read a news story recently of a woman who was sent to jail for murdering her husband. And she was, I think, the sixth wife of this particular man, and I guess she decided that there wouldn't be any more. And she had somehow found out that in her particular state, the coroner did not test for a particular poison. And that poison exists in something so benign as visine, eye drops. And she put a little bit of this poison in his food every day and she almost got away with it but the family hired a coroner out of state to do a double check on this person who was uh, seemingly a healthy person who all of a sudden got sick and died and she was charged and sent to jail for murder but something that is innocuous as visine that you can put in your eyes in little bits every day and it doesn't hurt you but a little more day after day after day after day after day eventually made the person sick, and eventually killed them. And so is the power of the tongue. It may not destroy a person in a day, but a little sarcasm every single day, a little criticism every single day, and it can kill a soul over time. Let our words be something that are grace for those who hear it. The second point is of a telling contradiction that the tongue brings. James says, for every kind of beast 
and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's pretty dramatic. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring forth from the pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the telling contradiction. The, the tongue tells a story about the heart. That little muscle in our mouth does the lofty work of praising God and a moment later it can do the dirty work of hell by shooting arrows at an image bearer of God. It can talk a good theology at church, but it can also do a very good sarcasm in the home, and it can do a very good gossip at work. It's one of the, the perplexities of spiritual life. Where James says the tongue, it, it can't be tamed. And he doesn't just say tame it. He says it can't be tamed. And so where are you going to go from there? Are you just going to set the bar higher and say, well, I can do it. I'm going to do it. You might leave today and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to set the bar higher. I'm going, to, I'm going to tame my tongue. I'm going to be more careful about the way that I speak. And you come back next week and say, I tame my tongue. And I'll say, it's too late. There's pride in your heart. And your tongue is telling the story of your heart. What do you do? Where do you go? <laughs> I'm preaching a sermon now, but yesterday I was trying to start a chainsaw. I'm a farm boy. I don't know how to start chainsaws, but I wanted this chainsaw to start. It was a big three-foot bar on it, and it, it can go through great big logs. And, I'm, and it's an old husky, and it doesn't start easy. And I'm standing on this thing, pulling it and pulling it and pulling it. My body temperature is going up. My blood pressure is going up. I'm starting to mutter, and then the thing lets go and wraps my knuckles really, really good. <laughs> and I wasn't praising the Lord. <laughs> and it's a perplexity. It really is. How do I tame my tongue, the, the, the thing that, that can't be tamed? And when James says this ought not to be, he's again pointing to something in the life of justified Christians and believers. That there needs to be a demonstration of their works through their words. But I think his point is very significant. The point isn't simply the tongue should be controlled. The point is that the tongue cannot be controlled. The point is that the tongue is untamable. It is a muscle that has reflexes that are so lightning fast. And the reflexes show what is in the heart, which is where the real contradictions actually lie. 
The point isn't to tame the tongue in Christianity. The point is to change the heart that's then reflected in a changed tongue. It's not just a matter of dealing with the external shell to find some trick to manipulate your tongue. It's to deal with a deeper issue, that what's going on in your tongue is a tattletale of a reflection of what's going on in the heart. Picture your heart like this. Imagine if you were riding in an old-fashioned carriage and you were holding a bowl that is full right to the rim of water and you're determined you're not going to let any of that water out. I'm not going to let any words come out of my mouth that aren't right. But you're on a rough road. (laughs) You're in Winnipeg and there's potholes. And the carriage hits a big big old pothole. You just try to keep that bowl full of water without any water spilling out. That's how fast the tongue is. It is a reflex that is so fast that our mind can't stop it. We often say this, we say, oh, I spoke before I thought. And that's true, we often do, we speak before I thought. Which is true of how fast that muscle in our mouth is, so fast that we can't even think about it. But really what we should say is I spoke before I could smother what was lurking in my heart. I spoke before I could smother what was really there is what we should say. That's why the proverb says that a fool quickly shows his vexation. It's it's right there all the time. That's why the tongue is such a tattletale. But listen to this. The language that the Apostle James uses is significant. Twice he says to the people, and he calls them brothers, As he's saying this shouldn't be this way, he says, brothers and sisters, this should not be brothers. It is a wonderful affirmation of James's perspective on these people who are struggling with something that cannot be tamed. In other words, he's not saying, you call yourself Christians? You can't possibly be a Christian if you've got these kind of contradictions in your life. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking to Christians who are dealing with hearts that they must not be self-deceived about. That what we speak through our tongue is a reflection of what is in our heart. And it is a wonderful gospel affirmation of this group of people as brothers, people who belong to God, but who also must be woken up to the things that are lurking in their heart and that their tongue lays bare. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. More. Think of Peter, his tongue. Thou art the Christ. Wow. And at Pentecost, And a few days later, a few days before Pentecost, I do not know the man. Did Peter love Jesus? Did Jesus love Peter? Yes, he did, absolutely. What I want to say in conclusion is this. 
I think the reason sometimes why our tongue beats other people up is because we're beating ourselves up on the inside. And I think the hint in this particular text, believe it or not, has to do with the word hell. What hell is all about is unbelief. What hell is all about is to create doubt in God's people. Did God really say? Hell is bent upon doubt and unbelief. And let me give you just one small example, although I think this could be taken to speak of many, many other things. That the centerpiece of the gospel, the centerpiece of the gospel is this, that we are loved by God. We're loved by God. Do you believe it? Of course you believe it. That's why you're a Christian. You believe that, that God loves me. And I love the way that the book of Revelation opens up and all of the, the vast expanse and array of things that would be revealed about heaven. It begins with these words, to the one who loves us. To the one who loves us. But you know, one of the things that lurks in our hearts so consistently is a doubt of the very thing that God wants to affirm us most. Does God really love me? We're wrecked with guilt. As I say, we're beating ourselves up on the inside so bad that's why we spills out. We, we beat other people up as well. We are loved by God. But the lightning fast reflexes of the tongue often betray things that are lurking in our heart. And you see, that's what Christianity is. It, it, it's not, okay, go from here, do better. Be, just be better. You know, a, a, a working on these uh, external shell. Christianity is something that, that plummets the depths of these things to say, what's in there? Do you really believe? And so those reflexes of the tongue that are so fast, quicker than our mind can stop, reveal our, our insecurities. They reveal the shame that we struggle with on the inside. And it explains our defensiveness. And what we need is not an answer to the question so much, how can the tongue be tamed? But how can the heart believe? And I believe that's why the apostles pray the way that they do for God's people. Listen to these words of prayer for, by the apostle Paul. We, we go over these verses over and over and over, and there's a reason why. It's so significant. He prays that you might have strength to comprehend with all of the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There it is. That you be filled with all the fullness of God. And I believe that's why in the next passage, next paragraph, next week, James's first words are, if any of you is wise, if any of you have understanding, and that has to do with the gospel, understanding it, believing it. Would you please pray with me? Let's pray together. Our gracious God, I pray that you would capture us today and be our shepherd. In all of our frailty, in all of our weaknesses, I pray that they would be used to make our Savior greater. 
and that in adoring him, not in our, our self-determination, in our willpower, but in our, in our adoration of a patient and loving, sufficient Savior for all of our weaknesses, that we would adore him and our hearts would be full of it. And I pray for our homes, Lord, that hearts that are full of God could reflect better in our tongues. Pray for our relationships. When sometimes words are better off not said, that we would have the wisdom to, to know so. And when words are better said, that we would have the courage to say so. The places where we go from here today, I pray that our words would not be scorching, but that they would be like a tree of life to all the places that we go. Why? Because our roots are planted in the river of life. Prayed in Jesus' name, amen.